The message I'm preaching here um, is for me tonight. I'm just having a little selfish streak. I'm preaching for me. I'm preaching passages that that thrill my soul. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. I like to preach on Jesus. Whew. Thrills me. I need encouragement, and I'm looking for it, and it's in the book. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, has been walked around a few times. No preacher worth his salt wouldn't want to preach Titus 2, 11 through 14 uh, regularly, on a regular basis. Now, I haven't touched this passage for 15 years. It's pretty hard for me to believe that. The last time I dealt with this passage was 15 years ago. By the way, that seems like about one year ago. I go back and I'll think of this passage. The Lord will kind of bring us Titus 2, 11 through 14. Uh, I memorized it. It's part of my memory program also. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us in denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, which live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and, and if I got it right, purify unto himself a people, peculiar people, a zealous good works. Man, that's just a rich passage. Let me break it down real quick for you tonight uh, about what I call four great things. I preached this passage in 05 on the beach. Most of you know we have an Easter beach service. Last year was the first time we hadn't had it in about 18 years in a row. COVID has stopped it. The last time I preached this was at the beach, and we had, according to my notes, eight people trust Christ, raise their hand for salvation that day. I preached it also here at the gospel, and I preached it on the beach, and eight people I had in my notes got saved. That was a beautiful thing. God works through his word. Uh, so what I see in this 11 through 14 are four great things, four great things. First of all, I see the great grace of God. Any one of these topics would be a sermon on their own. Uh, the, the study of grace through the Bible, there's a, a classical book written on it's about that thick, The Grace of God. It's about a 700-page book, and the guy really wasn't too wordy. He was a little wordy, but he wasn't too wordy when he did that kind of work. All I can say is I thank God that the people writing the Bible weren't as wordy as the commentators. Amen? So you take the grace, take the study of grace in the Bible and write 800 pages on it. Well, man, how big would the Bible be? Couldn't put it on his platform. So really, whether you understand it or not, the Bible's relatively concise book. It's a concise book. He could have written a whole lot more about it. We that read the Bible through every year, um, I mean, we get the idea about how big the Bible is. It's big. It's a big read. But it's concise. I see the great grace of God. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. How many men? I, they're in the bone of Calvinism in me. Why? It's not in the Bible. I'm a Bible believer. 
Call me what you want. I'm a Bible believer. The greatest compliment you could ever give me was he believed the Bible and endeavored to follow its commands. That would be the greatest compliment you could, you could give anybody, really, that loved God. Is we believe the Bible. We believe it every word, word for word. We believe every jot, every tittle. We believe every punctuation mark. Everything that God put in there is going to fulfill it. He said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. Nobody can say that. It's not God. Nobody can say that. There's so much in the Bible about the deity of Christ that it doesn't come out and say, I'm God. But that passage just says, heaven and earth pass away, but my words not. He was basically telling them, I'm God. Manifest in the flesh because no human being could ever say that. But this grace appears to all men. You get it? What happens to the people in the darkest part of Africa? Somehow or another, God speaks to them. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they get the gospel. But what it means is that they know by looking up at the stars, by looking at the cloud formations, by looking at the configuration of the animals, by looking at a human birth, that there's a God. And with, with a little bit of light, if they want more light, God will give them more light. But if they reject the little light they get, the light shuts off, and they go into darkness. And so if they, if through nature, God, the, the, I think it's in Psalm where it said, the firmament declared his handiwork. Heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament declare the handiwork. Day into day, utter speech, night and night, showeth forth judgment. And basically it goes on to say there's nowhere in the world that that doesn't touch. God testifies of himself. It says in John chapter 1, he is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. How many men? Do you believe in the exactness of the word of God? Do you believe when the Bible says all, it means all? Do you believe when it says everyone, it means everyone? I mean, I don't think, I don't think God has any trouble with language. What do you think? He, de he designed, and at Babel, every language is spoken today, he, he made at Babel. And he did a phenomenal job. I think there's 2,450 languages in the world. Close to that, 2,450, 2,500 languages in the world. There may be more sub-dialects. I'm not sure about all that, but I know it's pretty close. Right now, the Bible appears in 1,250 dialect or languages. So the Bible appears in half of the spoken languages in the world right now. Now, don't be too despaired and being like that other half don't have it. They do. Like example would be India. Hindi is the language of India. But there are 800 plus dialects in India in all those provinces. So if the Bible appears in Hindi, that means they have access to it because they're supposed, everybody in India is supposed to learn Hindi. Is that correct? Say yes, because if you don't, it's going to embarrass me horribly. Not in South India. What do they speak in South India? Okay. Let me give you another example. Appreciate that, Sonia. Give another example about Haiti. Haiti. Bower boys do not contradict me. Okay. In Haiti, 
In Haiti, the national language is French. Boys, the national language is French in Haiti. When I was there in 84, under, under Duvalier. And so, but that's not what everybody spoke, but they had access to it. So if the Bible was in French, they taught in school French, but everybody out in the street, they spoke Creole. A Creole is, is, uh, is a combination of five, six different languages. A little Swahili, a little French, a little Spanish. It's kind of a mixture. That's why they call it what they do. And uh, so that's what you're, you're, it has a vocabulary, maybe 2,000 words. It's not a big language, but it's what they call, it's, it's the mother language of a lot of the people. Uh, but French, they have an access to. So what I'm saying, I said all of that to say this. That the Word of God really is accessible to anybody that wants to read it. They can learn it. They can, they can find it. They can get to it. Now with the Internet. Oh, my, with the Internet. How much more? Kazunai, you got COVID? Are you done? Thank you, brother. I think if I was you people, I'd do it like this around it. So the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What is grace? Oh, it's been defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. Uh, three things that will surprise me when I get to heaven. Number one, to find many there that I did not expect to find there. I'm, I'm really hoping for that. The second thing is to find some not there who I expected to be there. And then the third one will be that I made it by the grace of God. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Pinch myself. I'm in heaven. Woo! Heaven is a wonderful place full of glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a glorious, heaven is a wonderful place. Can't wait to go. The grace of God, grace, so unexpected. I read this poem and said, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come running with a bucket. Grace, God wants to put his grace upon you. He's not stingily handing out his grace. He wants to pour his grace upon you. The grace of God is great. Can we all agree to that? Say, say amen towards heaven. Grace is enough to sober a drunkard, amen? I've seen it happen. I know evangelists that used to be alcoholics. One guy was in every, he said, I've been in every jail from here to South Carolina. From Georgia to South Carolina, Florida, he said, I've been on. He got saved, went to Bob Jones. I met him, and he was an evangelist. Uh, it's grace enough to free a drug addict. It was grace enough to save me out of the stuff that I was in. It's grace enough to overcome anger, Brother Tom, and bitterness. We don't, you don't have to die angry. You don't have to die bitter. The grace of God will deliver you from your anger. You'll die to your expectations by the grace of God, and you'll die to your rights by the grace of God. You'll humble yourself by the grace of God. Be broken by the grace of God. You don't have to submit to that. The grace of God's bigger than all that. It's grace enough to forgive the most wicked sin 
There's no, I said this morning, there's no sin out there that exempts you from God's grace if you'll repent and believe. I mean, the word you can think of people that done some horrible stuff, and you said, I wonder how they could be saved. Well, they could be saved if they would humble themselves before God, repent and believe. They can be saved because God's grace will reach. Oh, I like that song where it says, he reached way down for me. Now, when you sing that, if anybody decides to do that as a special, which I highly recommend, you need to sing it like this. He reached way down for me. You got to do that. Remember Brubaker as a song leader? How he had... Frank Garlock did the same thing. Frank Garlock. Gustafson. Gustafson also led... Real, he had big arms. Gustafson's arms went about seven feet across. And he led that. He led that. Now, now I like the way you lead, brothers. Don't take it any, don't take it any other way than that. But uh, and may God help you with His grace. But uh, grace enough to wash a filthy mouth. I come from a family of cussers, three, four generations back. Um, I still have to wash my mouth carefully uh, because of it's in there still. Uh, cussing is, uh, was part of, of part of our vocabulary, part of our expressionism. And so, um, boy, by the grace of God, he's helped me clean my mouth up. I didn't clean my mouth up. God cleaned my mouth up. Uh, make, and his spew, instead of spewing wickedness, it spews kindness out. Oh, man. The Bible says you're going to answer for every idle word you speak. Make them good words. Make them good words. Go to your wife. Tommy, tell your wife you love her all the time. Tell her she's beautiful. Well, you don't have to do it right now. But, <laughs> you know, store up a lot of good words. You need, you need to store up some good words. If you're like me, we had some bad words we've said we'd like to call back, but you can't call back the first word. So store up a bunch of good words. Amen? I don't think you can tell your wife you love her too often. Women, what do you think? No, you can hear it. You can tell me to shut up. But my, you know, I tell my wife, uh, I tell my wife a lot of things. I tell my wife, I just recently, just recently I've been on this kick with my wife that she's my lifelong friend. I have only one friend better than my woman. And that's Jesus. Uh, my friend, she's been a friend to me, a companion to me, a helpmate to me. Oh, my. i got to stop. But the great grace of God. So we have a great grace. And what does that do? It demands, now this is, this is going to get better as we go along, it demands a great separation. The great grace of God is so wonderful, so good, so phenomenal that we it demands from us a great separation. Look at the next verse, verse 12. Teaching. Teaching. Is that a gerund phrase? I thought a phrase that started with an ang was a gerund phrase. It's got a comma after it too, doesn't it? Teaching us that. What is oh, the grace of God? What's it do? It teaches us that we're to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and that we should live soberly, a serious-minded. 
righteously and like God, godly in this present world. So this great grace demands a great separation. This is the second great thing. Jesus said, no man can serve, Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. Further, he will hate the one, love the other. He will hold the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in man. You can't serve God in the world. Now, each one of you need to go out there and make a living and work. Some plumber, some electrician, some EMS, some firefighter, some are doing. And, there's all, and that's all honorable. And God wants us. If a man doesn't support his house and his family, he's worse than an infidel. If a man doesn't work, the Bible says he shouldn't even eat, shouldn't be allowed to eat. That'll motivate you, amen? And so work's wonderful, but it's not the reason for living. Are you with me? Jesus is the reason for living. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He's the reason for living. Your job is wonderful and it's good, but you're doing it for Jesus, amen? I laid carpet 17 years for Jesus. He got me in homes that I would never be allowed to go in. For five, six, seven hours, two, three days, sometimes the job was big. Got to know the people some. By the way, when you're laying their carpet, they treat you real nice because they don't want you to mess their job up. And so I used that. I used it and say, well, I'm a born-again Christian. love Jesus, and, and I'm going to do you the best job. I'm doing your job like I'm doing it for the Lord Jesus himself. Oh, they want to hear that. They don't want to hear that you're just slapping that baby together, you know. You don't care. They want to hear you got accountability. I said, I'm doing this for Jesus. I realize I'm doing it for you. They said, well, we appreciate that, young man. Nobody calls me that anymore. Jesus said, 1624, Matthew, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Mark on says, take up his cross daily. It has the word daily in there. Follow me. So this great grace demands a great separation. There's a missionary in Africa who has been witnessing faithfully to a certain individual. Following their conversation one day, the unconverted man placed a, a, a small statue and a silver coin on the table before this missionary. And he took two slips of paper and wrote something on each of the slips of paper and put them beside, one beside the image and the other beside the piece of money. And he turned to the Christian worker and said, please read this. On the note, by the idol uh, were written the words, heathen God, this small statue, heathen God. And on the piece of paper beside the money, he wrote, Christian God, Christian God. For what that needy soul had observed in the lives of the merchants that were called Christian, that called themselves Christian, was that he believed Money was their object of devotion and their reason for living rather than God. You don't want people to make that mistake about you. As a Christian businessman, you want to make sure the great grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is number one, and it's clear. That's why you're here. That's why you're living. That's why you're breathing. That's your devotion. Whatever you do, whether it be veterinarian or policeman or others too, that's secondary to what his first call, and your call is to be a Christian. And uh, there's nothing wrong with making money if it's in, done in the right spirit. Love of money is the root of all evil, but if you're, if you're doing it because God wants you to work, it's fine. So negatively, we see this great grace deserves great separation. What from? From ungodliness, from worldly lusts. Uh, and there's plenty of those, aren't there? Lusts everywhere. 
Think about it this way. I went over to, uh, anybody been up there in Sarasota, the Barnum Bailey, the Bailey, is it John Bailey's house? Is that what that is? He owned part of the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Anyway, he built that thing in 1924. 1924. He was making in 1924 $1 million a month. I wouldn't be bad today. What do you think? People say, well, that's $1924. Well, $1924, I don't even know what that would be today. $100 million a month? $100 million a month it was making? So he went to Europe. They were tearing down a lot of those old mansions in Europe at that time. And so he took people over there, and he'd go in those mansions and say, I want everything in this room. I want the ceiling, the walls, everything in this room. They'd take it all down, inventory it, put it on a ship, ship it over here, put it on a train, ship it over to Sarasota. A lot of what he's got in that house is old, very old, because it came from Europe, if you like history. Now, that thing got in disrepair, because I've been to that house in, 19, in the 70s. I've been to the house in the 80s. I've been to the house in the 90s. I've been to the house in the, uh, the first 2010, and I've been to the house past that. In the, I think if, if Florida State or Florida University spent $15 million in bringing that thing back, right back up to new. So that thing right now looks like when he built it in 1924. But you know what impressed me why I said just all of what I just said? I went in his bedroom, and there was a pair of his shoes. And the Holy Spirit said, look at them shoes. Look at those shoes. He's gone. The shoes are still here. What did that teach me? It taught me we're transient. We're transient. Don't give your sweet life for material things because you're going to leave them. And someday somebody's going to be looking at your shoes. Let's see, Tom. I see what size you wear. You got But anyway. They're going to be looking at your shoes. I took my shoes off when I came here to pray on Saturday night. I took my shoes off. I always take my shoes off because the ground I stand on is holy. And I took my shoes off, and I had them standing there, and I, I looked at those shoes, and I said, pretty soon, Bill Lytell's not going to be here to put them shoes on anymore. He's just going to have a pair of empty shoes. But hallelujah, glory to God, I've accepted the grace of God and, and, and also took the challenge of the great separation from living ungodly and in worldly lusts. Decided to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. The third great thing I see is in the next verse, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God of what? The great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. If, you, if you're much into Greek, there's a thing called the Granville Sharp Rule of Grammar. Now, what that simply means, if uh, the, the word God, the great God, and the word Savior Jesus Christ is separated by a conjunction and. Well, in the Greek, in the Granville Sharp, both of those things are equal. So what, what does that mean? The Granville Sharp Rule of Grammar says that what it said, the appearing of the great God is he's talking about the same person, the Savior, Jesus Christ. You get that? That's a great deity verse. In the language of the Greek, he's not talking about two different people. 
See, Joel Witness wants to say, well, there's a great God, but then there's the Savior Jesus Christ, which is a created being according to them. Maybe Michael's brother or something like that. And they try to they try to lower the deity of Christ. We can't do it. The Bible, but aside what I just said about him keeping his words, in, in the in the very grammar of the Bible, it talks about the deity of Christ. The great God is the same as the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's God of God, Lord of Lords. And as I mentioned this morning, so many other things before you there. So we're looking for that blessed hope. I hope tonight you're looking. I know I am. Uh, are you, are you, do you, let me ask you a question tonight. Are you longing? Do you, would you love his appearing? Would you love his appearing? Now, when, when Barrows was getting married, I kind of do this to these newlyweds. Barrows was getting married. I said, you know, I like to go to these newlyweds. I said, are you looking forward to the rapture of the church and the coming of Jesus? Now, be honest with you, they're a week out from being married, in anticipation about being married, loving this girl to death, thinking she's the best thing since walk, walk, she can walk on water. And they really look at you and say, the truth is, preacher, no, I hope he waits. It's a backslidden type of life. But after they get married about six months, they're back to looking for the, <laughs> they're longing and looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and uh, they're back to that, that same thing. The Bible says, to they that love his appearing, that's a there's a special place for people that love his appearing. I want to always keep myself looking. That's a constant there for the coming for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's the, sec the, the third great thing. So those who have received the great, great grace of God receive and are demanded to live a great separation from the world and the world's filth because we have a great Savior. That's the third thing, the great thing. You know, 2 Thessalonians chapter, take your Bibles if you will. 2 Thessalonians, and I'm, I'm not going to be long tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7. There are times in your life that you get trouble. It's coming. If it hasn't happened, it will happen. But you that are older, you've had numbers of times in your life that you get troubled. And you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Jesus is not coming back as the lion, as, as the lamb, who wouldn't hurt, who wouldn't break a little reed, who wouldn't answer back when they accused him of blasphemy. That's over. That's been fulfilled. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to rule with the rod of iron. He's coming back as the judge of all the earth. He's coming back to establish justice and righteousness 
over the entire earth. As the waters cover the sea, so God is going to establish his kingdom over this old world. Woo, glory, that's a good day coming. There's a better day coming. We're not home yet. It's a time of his coming. We are to comfort ourselves. I like the song, Some golden daybreak, Jesus will come. Some golden daybreak, battles all won. He'll shout the victory, break through the blue. Some golden day break for me, for you. My mom and dad's favorite song, as they would drive in their car, they didn't think I was paying attention, but I was. So we have the great grace of God, which demands a great separation from the world, and is provided by a great Savior, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Mormons, JWs, all promise salvation through good works. Jesus promises salvation through grace, by faith in him. Jesus provides salvation as a no strings attached, no double meaning, but a real free gift that is purchased, paid for by you. Let me give you some biblical evidence for that. Titus 2.14, of course, we read, who gave himself for us. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and did what? And gave himself for me. Galatians 1.4, one of my favorites, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil world. The world's always been bad. The world's always been wicked. The Bible says the whole world lieth in evil, wickedness. It's not really gotten a whole lot better. No matter, we've had maybe little times, but the, the, what goes on in the dark still has been wicked and evil. Uh, Timothy 2.6, who gave himself a ransom for all. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And we being dead to sin shall live unto righteousness who stripes your heel. Again, that's that great grace demands great separation. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. That we, who knew no sin, that's him, he was impeccable, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So we have a great grace that's been provided for us. You never get over it. That grace demands a great separation from the world, provided, uh, providing a great Savior resulting, lastly, in a great salvation. How about you? How about you? What have you done with this great Savior in your life? What have you done with Jesus in your life? Have you received this free gift of eternal life? I can't imagine anybody turning Jesus away. I can't imagine. God, His Son, the Lord Jesus, paid for our salvation, purchased it with His own blood, made a way to go to heaven, have your sins forgiven, and people will balk at it and say, oh, I don't know. Too simple too simple, or I don't believe. 
Really what it is, according to Romans chapter 1, they don't want to leave their sin. That's really the motivator behind a lot of rejection of Jesus. They choose the, the junk in this world, the little bit of pleasure. Moses had to choose to forsake the pleasure of sin for a season because the Bible says in Hebrews, he regarded the reward of the righteous over all the wealth of Egypt. What a guy. What a guy. I believe you can trust in Christ, live for him. If you're a sinner, you qualify. But I can guarantee you this, you can't save yourself by any amount of good works. And doing door-to-door many, many years, I've heard this over and over again. If you died today, where would you go? Oh, I believe I'd go to heaven. Most people believe they're going to go somehow or another, going to squeak in. I say, well, if you, why would you be allowed to go to heaven? And they'll say, always the most common answer is, I've tried to be good. I've not murdered anybody. I've paid my taxes. You know, I, I helped old ladies go across the street almost that ridiculous. I've been a Boy Scout. I was an Eagle Scout. I've never really cold-blooded murdered people, but I sure have wanted a bunch of people to die a slow, agonizing death. This is the hypocrisy of it all. And yet, they somehow that they're going to go to heaven, it's going to be like this, right? It's going to be like, well, you know, you got a lot of bad stuff, but you got some good stuff, and ah, you know what, we're going to let you in. I, I tell you what. Let's make up a thing called purgatory, and we'll just let you go to purgatory for a while. And eventually, after 100 or so years, uh, you, you may or may not get out of this place called purgatory. It's not in the Bible. It's not, a, it's not in harmony with what God teaches and with what he said. There's no purgatory. There's hell and heaven, and you're going to one or the other place if you trust in Christ as your Savior. But to as many as received him, then gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them. They believe in his name. We have a great, for the grace of God with bringing salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I could add a fifth great thing, a great zeal. All of those four above it creates a zeal to go out in the hedges and highways and compare them to come in. You start getting tired of being an evangelist, tired of being out talking about Jesus, it's because your relationship with the great Savior has diminished. Get back to where you need to be with that great Savior, and you'll go out there with eagerness telling people about Jesus. Father, help us tonight. Give us wisdom from above. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the great salvation you've you provided. There could be someone in this room without Jesus or maybe over the air, over the Internet, that would need to trust Christ. May they repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ in simple childlike faith. I'm a sinner, unable to save myself. Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you died, you were buried, and rose again the third day by the grace of God. Help me. Lord, I think you can pray. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You may, you may be like that guy that came in the temple and wouldn't even lift his head toward heaven and beat his chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You could be like that old thief on the cross that mocked Jesus, but eventually got convicted and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom.
I don't know, I don't, maybe the exact words are not what counts more than your heart condition when you come to Christ. I hope you get saved if you're not. And I hope, Christian, you revive yourself by the grace of God. David got discouraged. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the things of God. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. Father, love you. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. A couple of verses. Just as I am without one plea, that thy blood was shed for me. Maybe you've got to do business with God. Maybe he's touched you in some area. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you have a loved one that you've been praying for and your heart's been burdened for to be saved tonight? Raise your hand. Yeah. Oh, my. Before we have an invitation, let's pray. Father, those hands, the sea of hands you saw, people burdened for their loved ones, relatives, friends. Father, we pray that they'd be saved tonight, that the Spirit of God would convict them, help them to come to you. May they see the great grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You if you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.